Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and the young camels of Midian and Ephi, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the second scripture reading comes from the second chapter of Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may go too and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their country by another road. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the earlier service, Alex did it time for the children, and he asked the children what gift they had ever received that was most surprising to them. And it caused me to reflect on the fact that it was about a year ago at this time when I received one of the most surprising gifts of my life. 
Ken and I had come up to spend the weekend after Christmas with our parents, or with my parents, and um, just prior to that, a couple weeks earlier, I had received a call from the Associate Pastor Nominating Committee that invited me to come and interview with them as one of their three final candidates. So I spent the weekend interviewing with them, and Ken and I left that Monday driving back to Louisville, reminding ourselves and each other of how long the process is in the Presbyterian Church, and then it might be as much as two weeks, maybe even three weeks, before I heard from the committee because they had another interview to complete. I was doing the driving at that point, and just before we got to Indianapolis, we pulled off to a rest area to get gas and a little more coffee for the road, and I looked at my phone and I said, Ken, Jody Stotzenbach called me. (laughs) She was the chair of the Associate Pastor Nominating Committee, and Ken looked at me and said, well, call her back. And I said, well, she probably, they didn't talk to me about finances. Maybe they just want to ask me what kind of gas money I want for our trip or something like that. But lo and behold, they told me they were impressed by my interview and wanted to offer me the job without interviewing that third candidate. And that indeed, other than my, the day I received my engagement ring, that was one of the most surprising gifts I have ever received. So thank you all very much for that surprising gift. Now, ten months into the job, one of the things I am still struggling to get used to around here is the amount of advanced notice that is needed for things. After all, in my former life, I was the one that filled in the bulletin, printed it, even folded it. So if I didn't have a sermon title until Thursday or Friday before the Sunday I was preaching, it was really no big deal. I was asked for this sermon title shortly before Thanksgiving. (laughs) And the problem is, At the time, I thought that quite literally my possessions would be on the road again at this point in time. But as title companies and closing dates have it, all things are flexible until you sign those papers. And our closing date, with fingers crossed, has been moved to January 15th. So my things are not quite yet on the road. However, the sermon title still works, because in many ways, we are all of us always on the road again. Life is a journey. Sometimes our destination is unclear. Other times we make what looks to be a wrong turn, but we actually end up in a better place than we started off to find. And then there are those times when we feel like we are lost in darkness and we will never find our way home again. In our culture, we have the luxury of taking time at the end of one year or the beginning of a new year to reflect on the journey we are taking. Are we on the right road? Do we need to make a U-turn? Have we missed something or someone important along the way? 
Is there another way to travel that might be better for us or for the people we love? And where will our journey take us in this new year, 2016? The story of the wise men found only in Matthew's Gospel is a rich and colorful story full of magic and mystery and wonder. The wise men come from the east, and when they get to Jerusalem, they stop, and they ask about this child who has been born king of the Jews. They saw a star, they say, and they want to honor the child king. Now, I will confess to the fact that I watch, especially at the holidays, a lot of Hallmark movies. In case you don't know this about me yet, I am a sucker for romance and happy endings. The plot lines in the Hallmark movies are extremely predictable. A young woman is struggling in her life journey. She takes a detour, ends up meeting the man of her dreams in the least likely of all places, and everyone does indeed live happily ever after. The story of the wise men would not make a good story for Hallmark. It is not at all predictable. In fact, it is a convoluted story, and on the surface, it makes very little sense. What are wise men from the East, Gentile territory, doing seeking the king of the Jews? Many scholars do not consider this story to have any historical merit, yet it finds its way into Matthew's gospel, and the character and the storylines are indeed a rich part of our tradition at this time of year. There is something about these men, about the journey they are taking, about the king they seek, that is important for us to know and understand as we evaluate our journey in life and continue our journey. I would presume that these men, most likely astrologers or astronomers, there wasn't a lot of differentiation between those two groups of people back in those days. I would presume that they're comfortable in the East. It is, after all, their home. They are learned men who spend a lot of time studying the skies, the alignment of stars, the advent of new stars. They have laboratories, no doubt, where there is lots of equipment that helps them do their work. They may have families. Maybe they have a publication deadline, you know, publish or perish. Or perhaps they are right in the middle of some important grant that they are writing, and without the grant, their research will no longer be funded. We don't know these things. In fact, we know very little about these wise men that entered Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. We don't even know how many there were. Church tradition over the centuries has named as few as two and, believe it or not, as many as 12. We tend to settle on the number three because there are, in fact, three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's another thing about the story. 
Who brings gold, frankincense, and myrrh to a baby? We all know that if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, brought practical gifts, and no doubt made a casserole. But that's a hallmark story and not the story we have in front of us today. This story is about men who come from the east and bring gold for a king and spices for burial. To add another confusing element to the story, they stop in Jerusalem to confirm their directions. King Herod hears of their journey and we are told that this king and all Jerusalem with him are frightened. Frightened by the news the wise men bring of a new baby that has been born king of the Jews. Like any man or woman in power, Herod is very protective of his power base. So he makes a politically sharp decision and decides to play nice with the wise men. He tells them where to look, and then he tells them to be sure and let him know when they find the baby, the new king, so that he too may go and pay homage. We know the end of the story. We've seen it dramatized many times. The kings find Mary and her child, and they present their gifts. Then Matthew uses one of his favorite motifs, the dream motif, and being warned in a dream, the wise men choose to go home by another road, avoiding Herod altogether. It seems in one way a wonderful and grand adventure that these wise men take, far from their home to greet a baby born to be king, The story does have a romantic quality to it. What an experience. While the gifts are less than practical, they do serve to remind Mary and to remind us that the baby born in Bethlehem is a king and that ultimately he will meet a horrific and untimely death. The story also has dark corners, suspicions, and fears. The wise men leave their homes in the dark of night with only a star to follow. No GPS on their iPhone, no triptych, no atlas. They meet a king who is already a tyrant, and they push him right over the edge into a murderer. Matthew wants us to know that from the moment of his birth, Jesus' life was threatened. And he also wants us to understand that this child born in Bethlehem is the one who the prophet spoke of to Israel, and it is also here not only for the Jews, but for the entire world, even those from the east. This is a story 
This story is more than a story of adventure and evil. It is more than a story of fear and joy. It is more than just darkness and light contrasted against each other. And it is more than tradition and a few extra characters to make our nativity even prettier. These wise men from the East speak to us of a God who is inclusive, a God who welcomes all from wherever they journey. And they also speak to us of a God that made himself known in the midst of a world filled with corruption and injustice, not unlike the world in which we live today. And they invite us to take risks as we journey. They invite us to take risks, to follow a star, even without clear, detailed directions. And they invite us to bring gifts, our own gifts. Our king no longer needs gold and frankincense and myrrh. Actually, what he does need is far more costly than those things. He needs you, all of you, and he needs me, all of me. He needs us to get on the road and travel with him. Christina Rossetti wrote the text for the hymn In the Bleak Midwinter. Listen to this last verse now. Listen carefully to the words. gift-giving of the wise men invites us to give our hearts completely and fully as individuals and as a faith community to the one whose stars are in the sky every night. We are invited to be the followers of the light in a world that threatens every day to envelop us in a deep darkness. We are invited to try other roads so that our world may be a more just and hopeful place. The story of the wise men encourages us to change the direction of our lives, to follow a star, not just any star, but a star of wonder and power and majesty, the star of God. We 
are the ones invited to be wise in our weary and broken world. The journey of the wise men was not an easy journey. It was full of danger and disappointment, and still they journeyed. There were probably days when they didn't think they were making any progress. They would never, ever find this baby-born king. And yet still they walked. Still they followed. There were days when they probably felt as though they would be swallowed up in the darkness of their world. Yet they journeyed on. They journeyed on. Our world is not so different as the world in which the wise men journeyed and Jesus was born. We still live in a time of political and economic oppression. There are underpaid workers. There is government oppression on both sides of the aisle. And we have more gun violence than any developed country in the world. And still we do nothing. Paralyzed by our own fear, paralyzed by the brutal rhetoric of others, paralyzed because sometimes it's just so comfortable to stay on the same road. In one of the richest nations in this world, children go without basic health care, and our oldest and wisest are forced to make choices between medicine and food and heat. The story of the wise men is important regardless of its historical authenticity because it is a story of what it means to follow God in a very cruel world. It is a story that reminds us of the gifts we are invited to bring to our King. It is a story that begs us, that begs us to choose love, to be the light, to change the world. The kings didn't go back to the powers and principalities of the world they knew. After they worshipped, they went home by another road. They went home with hearts full of hope and love and joy. And we don't know what they did with that hope and love and joy, but we do know that they had met the Prince of Peace. God had been revealed to them. They got back on a road, a different road, changed forever by their journey. This story reminds us that no matter the darkness and adversity that challenges us on the journey of life, we can live in light of God's healing and God's salvation. It reminds us that when we follow the light, we can find God in every season of our life. We can find God in the darkest corners and in the deepest valleys. It reminds us that even on our darkest nights, there is a star to be followed, and there are gifts we must give. It is a story 
that invites us every day to choose love, to be the light, and to know that when we do those things, the world will be changed. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.